Welcome to 100 Ways, your simple reminder that you are home wherever you are and that everything is right the way it is right now. I'm your host, Laura Christine, fellow explorer of consciousness and this amazing, beautiful world. Let's get curious, dive into the duh, and find out what's here for us today. Welcome to 100 Ways. This is your daily exploration of self and soul. I'm your host and fellow explorer, Laura Christine. Let's dive in and find our way home. Ethan is making his way to Kathmandu in Nepal, and we're going to revisit his friend Misha and more motorcycle adventuring, where we kind of hear about the rules of the road in India and Nepal. My favorite part of this episode is the description, or are the descriptions, of these small mountain towns that Ethan has been able to experience before arriving in Kathmandu in quite a precarious fashion, it turns out, which I suppose we could be used to hearing about by now. Around the middle of this episode, Ethan lets his family know that if they're listening, they could probably just skip to the next section, which is going to be the next episode. So we'll see you next weekend, Ethan's family. And if you're not that interested in hearing about his motorcycle adventures, then you can feel free to skip to the next weekend as well. Let's go to Nepal. All right. So I felt like I had kind of found what I was looking for in Bodh Gaya and found some things I wasn't looking for because there had been part of me which wanted to, if Varanasi wasn't the place that I could perform austerities, because it just felt like off-brand and sort of dumb. It's like, look at this foreigner fucking sitting on this stupid... Look at him. <laughs> you know? Like, is he going to keep doing that? Nobody gives a shit, you know? But it turned out that actually austerities are a big part of the pathway to becoming a monk, which is not what I was intending to do. And I had made plans to go see my German friend Misha at the south of the border to this northeastern region called the Three Sisters, which is very different from the rest of India, but it includes Darjeeling, which is you may have heard of. <laughs> and so I thought, all right, well, I better go get some tea. At any rate, I just had such a banger time hanging out with Misha that I was like, oh, wouldn't miss it for the world. So I uh, went and met up with him, and we drove his souped-up tuk-tuk up into the mountains over this just insane mountain pass that these crazy off-road vehicles were having the hardest time traversing. And because the tuk-tuk has three wheels, it's incredibly capable off-roading machine. Like when it goes into a pothole, the whole thing kind of subtly just leans into it. You always have traction on two out of three wheels, and so that's enough. We just breezed through the whole thing, and it was great. Misha had a volunteer gig to teach English in this lovely mountaintop town whose name I have forgotten. So I spent a couple days with him there. There's just something so delightful about these mountaintop towns where there's no real sort of utilities or infrastructure. A lot of it's off-grid, and these people in these mountaintop towns live this incredibly separate life from civilization who have very few contacts with the rest of the world, but who have sort of been able to bring up modern technology to enable them to live much more 
relaxing lifestyles and sort of inhabit areas which they otherwise wouldn't be able to. And it was just a lovely time. I don't really know what to say about it other than that these children played lots of games with us when we first got there. And we played like hide and seek and we played tag and we played some games which apparently had no rules, but which they all knew how to play and involved many of the children all doing the same thing at once. And Misha and me sort of being (laughs) standing there (laughs) thinking that we were supposed to be a tree, but actually that was completely wrong at that point. But anyway, we had a lot of fun and we played soccer. And soon enough, I went on my way. I bid farewell to Misha and I began my journey into Nepal, which felt like a very sacred transition, a very exciting transition because Nepal was the only place on my whole trip when I was leaving the United States that I had any function in, sort of any destination, any sort of purpose, and that was to go to Kathmandu and meet the teachers of a friend of mine from college. So this kind of transition felt like bringing with me the knowledge and insight and street smarts, capability to hitchhike independently and sort of eat food and sort of get around well enough bring that into Nepal and and make something of it and go to this very beautiful and sacred landscape. So I set out and I uh, had a number of very sort of delightful and some harrowing experiences on my way there through various different modalities of transportation, uh, walking, riding on the back of motorcycles and being dropped off because the road was too muddy (laughs) and then finding a more daring motorcyclist to hop on the back of riding on buses that were almost tipping into caverns and really to the point of like, oh my God, (laughs) it's really serious. I'd rather get out and walk, thanks, which at one point we all had to because it was just like the side of a mountain and like a mudslide going down and reports that an entire bus had slid off and everybody had died, you know, a week before. So the bus had reached the end of the line and everybody started getting off and I had no idea what was going on and it was nighttime. And I said, why is everybody getting off this bus? I thought it was going to Kathmandu. Everybody started piling off and we all went into this roadhouse and we started eating and I was like, all right, well, I can have some dal, that's fine. And finally, somebody explained to me that in fact, that was it. The bus was not continuing in the morning and we had 20 miles to walk the next day. I started walking with this brother and this sister And they permitted me to walk with them because they had like a 40-pound bag of rice that they were carrying in their hands. And they said, here, you carry that. Make yourself worthwhile. So I did that. And we had a lovely time and stopped at these beautiful spots, waterfalls, and walking through paddocks of animals and all these tiny little mountains. And so we finally got to this place, the national... tiny little mountains? Tiny little mountains. The most exquisite and delicate little peaks. Sort of... um, these rolling hills and then to your right there will be this tiny little peak and you could walk up to it and there's likely to be some nice little sitting area there or something just this really exquisite and delicate landscape and lots of pathways everywhere and ah man i just remember thinking i sure do love vermont but if i were to live somewhere kind of like vermont but not vermont this might be that place because it felt like everybody had their own entire country there you had your house And it would always be on a peak overlooking the land. And you would always have a lake. And you would always have a little forest. And you'd always have a field of animals. There was just this sort of feeling of it must be sort of the most virtuous of people are incarnated to live in an area like this where everything is provided for. And you can have a simple life that 
just persists and is sufficient and beautiful. And they must have great parties, dinner parties. <laughs> Everybody walks with their dish 10 miles to each other's houses. <laughs> so I finally got to this mountaintop village that was just beautiful and lovely. I remember walking across. It was quite built up mountaintop town, walking across this soccer field, and it just felt like I was in some kind of National Geographic magazine. There were flocks of beautiful birds flying by, and the wind was blowing, and the sun was shining, interspersed with clouds that would sort of create these rays of sunlight, and the sense that I had kind of arrived somewhere. And uh, where I had arrived was actually the end of the line, because I had taken the northern route, which I thought would be more adventurous, but it was so adventurous, in fact, that the road was completely closed, and the only way out of there was to get on an airplane, a little twin prop. I kind of did some shopping, and repaired my sandals, and then I kind of sauntered down to the airport thinking I could just kind of pick up a plane. And when I got there, there was one seat, maybe. Oh, I'm sorry, sir, there are no seats available. And I was like, oh, crap, well, I really need to get on this flight because there's only... the next one is in three weeks. And I said, oh, God... <laughs> I do like your town, but <laughs> I'm not sure I can stay here for three weeks, and I'm going to really seriously be in trouble if I can't get out of here. And by just sort of looking beleaguered deliberately and persistently, I somehow got uh, to get on the airplane. Probably it involved paying at an exorbitant price. But anyway, I hopped on this plane and was up in the air, and the same mountains that felt like entire countries were part of this tapestry of verdant and beautiful and magical land that persisted and consisted in ways that were all, I believe, the result of being close to and part of the Himalayas, like this incredibly vibrant and complex geography and geology that results in these sort of upwellings and complexities and sort of changings and all the while sort of feeling, hmm, I hope this airplane is really up to spec because they... They're kind of flying by the seat of their pants. You know, like normally when you get on an airplane, it's like, pay attention to the safety briefing, which nobody does because they just implicitly believe that it is safe. And there was no safety briefing on this plane. And I had sort of wished that there might be. But anyway, it didn't crash. And we landed in Kathmandu and holy moly, out of this week-long hitchhiking, arriving in this very remote village, here I was landing in this airport, and there were Boeing 747s taxiing on the runway to this sacred city. And I thought, oh, geez, is this truly such a sacred city if it has 747s, you know, taxiing around it? Has it sold out? <laughs> like, capitalism has reached too far and has taken everything. But I was heartened by the fact that the terminal was completely sort of inchoate. They're just like, all right, well, welcome to Kathmandu. Get out of here. So I started walking through Kathmandu, and I hitchhiked into the center of the city and spent the next four or five days kind of hanging out with the expat and the traveler crowd. I kind of wanted to get my bearings in the city before I tried to do any meditating in earnest, you know, <laughs> like find the, find the real historic, you know, sites there. <laughs> so I ended up in what my friend Jack later was like, oh, yeah, you ended up in that part of the city, I bet, didn't you? <laughs> when he first got there. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forget the name of it, which I think you should begin to expect by now. But they have these labyrinthine sort of paths of just all kind of tchotchkes that you see. And, oh, you can buy these sacred knives. 
and there are people playing flutes in the street. Tons and tons and tons of tourists and nightclubs and people getting wasted and lots of carousing and lots of people partying pretty hard, which I definitely participated in. And I found um, uh, this really lovely group of people. There was this Indian guy who taught me the principles of wheeling a KTM Duke. I'm going to talk about motorcycles again. <laughs> in Kathmandu, finally, I rented a KTM 390 Duke, which I had seen one example of in the desert in India and was just really quite besotted because KTM is this company which makes really high-spec but relatively affordable bikes that are fuel-injected, high-revving, and they're incredibly high power-to-weight ratio. So you get on them and you're just like... Sorry, that's probably a little loud. But, uh, <laughs> well, like, they're just totally what every motorcycle wants to be, or some motorcycles want to be. So I had this amazing bike, which I proceeded to ride around like a banshee late at night by the time I finally got it. If any of my family is listening to this, you can just skip ahead to uh, <laughs> to the next section. Um, <laughs> just riding around late at night. Everybody says, oh, geez, you're going to ride a motorcycle in India or you're going to try to drive in India? That's really unsafe. You could die. You could get into a crash. You better be careful. And my impression at that point was actually that riding in India, if you understand the customs, is significantly safer than riding in the U.S. because they're all a bunch of blood cells driving around. It's like they're all flowing in movement with one another. And if you die, you die virtuously. That's the other thing, you know. <laughs> I think you still do die more frequently in India. But, you know, you don't get hit by somebody who's texting about what type of lasagna they want to make later, what kind of Netflix show they want to watch. You know, you get hit by somebody who just wants to knock you off the road because they're insane. Because <laughs> they're just batshit crazy, you know. So I was whipping around like a bat out of hell. And at one point, I was just ducking and bobbing and weaving. And this group of four other KTM Duke riders, like, emerged out of nowhere like phantoms in the night. And I throttled up the bike, and I just was, like, following them like a flock of some very fast and impressive bird with very thin wings, sort of darting around, going through a forest and, and sort of missing all the trees, and just following them in complete sort of unison and in complete sync and then eventually they were way crazier than I was willing to be and they sort of went into the distance and then the next day I did a little motorcycle tour of the surrounding region with a friend and then we parted ways and I took this street bike onto this very remote very muddy trail a lot like some of the trails that I had had so much trouble hitchhiking on and this bike because it was so light and had such wide tires I was able to traverse this incredible distance in such a short time in this complete flow state of just Ethan and the bike and the crappy road and just slaying these Nepalese dudes on their non their non dukes, you know, like <laughs> just passing them on the left, passing them on the right, passing them when they were stuck in a mud puddle. <laughs> and it was just great and I loved it. So that's my story about renting a motorcycle in, in Kathmandu. It was awesome. I'd love to do something like that again. So I sort of realized that the reason that I was in Kathmandu was to do justice to the reason that I had come to India and Nepal in the first place. And so I had been in this one part of the city whose name I do not recall where all the hippie tourists go. But the place that I ended up at was called Bodhanath. We will head to Bodhanath 
for some more spiritual-type adventures with Ethan next weekend. It strikes me every time I hear stories about children anywhere in the world. They are the same. Humans are humans everywhere. You can see this especially in children before whatever culture they are in starts to create those deep grooves in the brain and make them take on the patterns of their society. Who hasn't played games with children where there are really no rules, and yet there are rules that the children know and make up as they go, and they always win? If you haven't played that game, please write in because I'm curious to know how you've evaded it. Thank you so much for being here and getting a little taste of the beauty of the landscape and the simplicity of life in rural India and Nepal. And then the bustling sort of craziness that the city of Kathmandu presents. And isn't that how life is sort of everywhere? Quieter here, crazier there. That's why I love both the country and the city. All of life. It's totally rad. Anyway, until next time, we are sending all our love and then some more. I'll talk to you tomorrow, and we'll hear from Ethan next weekend. Thank you for exploring with me today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. We can do that at laurachristine.us. You'll find contact in the menu, or you can go to laurachristine.us slash contact, and you'll be taken right to it. Let's dive in a little deeper and see how fully we can flow with the duh. Thank you for being here. I would love to hear from you. Go to laurachristine.us to let me know your thoughts on this. And remember, as Rumi said, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Also, you can't fuck it up. I said that. Thank you.